gosh, can we have some sort of impression? Can we support the community on all these paths? And, and how do we do that? And how do we create the landscape so that everybody is welcome and that it becomes more of a mainstream activity. It becomes uh, more of an option for people to use as a commuter location. Whether you're going to the market, whether you're going to a friend's house, whether you're going to school, those are the, the big picture. I'm always trying to think, how can we activate it more so that people feel safe out there? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, a conversation about creating a culture of activity in our communities. I'm John Simmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your host for this auditory journey, exploring healthier, more equitable communities for everyone. It's so wonderful to have you along for the ride. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our Patreon supporters and our donors. If you're in a position to help out, I hope you'll consider making a contribution or becoming a patron. I simply cannot do this without your support. I'll provide all the appropriate links in the show notes, or you can go directly to our donor page on our website at activetowns.org. Thanks everyone. I really appreciate it. In this episode, I'm excited to share with y'all a recent conversation I had with Graham Hill, executive director of Shared Paths, a nonprofit dedicated to serving as stewards of the extensive paved urban pathway network of over 90 miles in the city of Boulder. We talk about the origins of the initiative, how the city is adapting during the COVID-19 pandemic, and some of their future plans. So without further delay, let's get right to it. Graham Hill from Boulder, Colorado. Graham, how are you, sir? I'm great, John. I mean, all things considered, I appreciate uh, these opportunities that keep our uh, active professions moving forward. So, Graham, the reason I asked you to, to be on the podcast is to give us an update about the Shared Paths program there in Boulder. To start our listeners off, can you just give a, a description of that program and what the current status is and what the future looks like for the organization? Sure. Well, we started this program, Shared Pass Boulder, back in 2016. The idea behind it initially was to provide a little bit more community eyes and ears on the path. So we began a stewardship program. And we have between 30 and 40 active stewards we have for the last few years. And what they do is go out and become ambassadors of the pass. They do a number of functions, including handing out lights, giving directions, providing maps of our paths, and picking up some debris and, and really trying to make it as hospitable as possible. We kind of consider ourselves the welcome mat of Boulder. Boulder's known for uh, quite a few things, as you know, as a former resident here. And one of the things that sometimes goes unnoticed is our incredible urban path system. I won't say necessarily that is it is the best in the country, but it certainly is probably the largest in the country as far as connected pathways that allow pedestrians, cyclists, all kinds of micromobility, people walking their dogs, people pushing their babies, 
all kinds of uses out there. And what I often refer to our system as here in Boulder is we have lucky geography. And what I mean by that is we have 17 drainages that come off the front range. We're really in the shadow of the mountains here in the high plains, right at about 5,500 feet above sea level. And we have an incredible arrangement of uh, recreational paths that serve multiple multiple reasons to uh, have them built in the first place, uh, from recreation to running our utilities and flood mitigation. And so uh, my thought was, back when I started this organization, was that we needed even more care for these paths. These were an element that oftentimes people overlooked. They took them for granted. And so what we've been able to do is usher in kind of a new era for them. So people, not only locals, but also visitors, recognize what an opportunity to use these paths on a regular basis year-round. The city prioritizes them with their snowplowing efforts. And so there's really no reason why you can't be out there year-round strolling along the paths, whether you're using for commuting purposes, recreation, or otherwise. Yeah, and I'm glad you you mentioned a couple of, of different things in there that are, are relevant. And one was the, the city departments that uh, oversee the path system. What, what city department oversees the path system? Okay, so initially the path system was created for the Greenways program. And the Greenways essentially were in charge of marking them and basically giving the city a basic understanding that these paths exist and we will continue to build these, primarily, again, along the drainages. But we have them along the major streets like 30th and 28th Street, too, which most cities don't have paths along their major commerce or their um, shopping centers. So the paths really give you the, the ability to walk or bike or utilize whatever means you have outside of a car to get to all the major locations in town. When these were originated back in the early 70s, the two favorite places people wanted to go was the YMCA of Boulder and the Boulder Creek Path. And so they kind of evolved from there, the Boulder Creek Path being the spine of the system. But again, that only represents about six miles of the 90 that we have connected. Interesting. So uh, you had mentioned originally it was sort of the Greenways program. Is it is it now overseen through the Recreation Department or is it a Transportation Department that's, that's responsible? Because I, I heard you mention that it does get prioritization when it comes to snow removal. Right. So it's actually one of these kind of situations where they are so massive and let's uh, it's kind of an old term but the Boulder Creek path is the chamber of commerce path for this town. Essentially that's where most of the resources are committed. That is obviously the longest portion. It is the most glorious portion. And so the city of Boulder, if you even look at a, a website like TripAdvisor and, and you look at all the reviews the Boulder Creek Path has over the years, there's probably 85% of those are very positive. 
because it is very popular, there's a number of entities that weigh in on the pass system. So the Parks and Rec Department uh, treats the Boulder Creek Path as a linear park. And so they oversee that with all of its maintenance as well. The rest of the system, which is the majority of it, is overseen by the Public Works Department. And I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the maintenance. Now, Go Boulder is the active town's sort of department that operates with the pedestrian and cycling and alt modes, if you will. That is the staff that the city has uh, put together and has been doing that kind of work since the late 80s. And they really are involved with the promotion of it along with Shared Paths. So uh, primarily Shared Paths does the active promotion of it because of the current situation with the virus. There's been a lot of downsizing for Go Boulder. So Go Boulder went from a staff from 12 to 4. They are furloughed. We don't know when that uh, staff will return in force. But, you know, it's really probably no different than many other departments around the country where Boulder really does uh, has historically led in a lot of these areas. However, you know, they've really kind of set the stage, I, I should say. And now there's NGOs and there's other municipalities that have very active transport departments that are really recognizing how important a good climate and a landscape for for uh, walking and biking continue to be. Yeah. So it does sound like it's a, a multi-departmental sort of approach since it is viewed as sort of a, a linear park. The parks department uh, has uh, has responsibility for some of the, the infrastructure that's out there. And then public works is, you know, helps with the some of the maintenance and the ongoing maintenance. I'm glad you mentioned too 30th Street and 28th Street as being opportunities or, or, or streets, major arterials that uh, have a multi-use path component to them. These are uh, pretty major north-south corridors. And as you mentioned, you've got 17 drainages. And so those riparian sort of channels and, and rights of way that exist are pretty much all flowing, for the most part, west to east. And so the Boulder's always been challenged to be able to have active mobility safe, all ages and abilities, active mobility options in the north-south direction. Uh, any any additional uh, advances that you know of uh, in that area in terms of trying to pr- put down on, on the ground some of those critical north-south corridors? Well, let's see here. Most recently, the city of Boulder put together, uh, and now it's probably five years old, is Elmer's two-mile path, which is a, a north and south corridor that runs just west of 28th Street. Their hope would be to take that all the way to Arapaho. However, that right now, because of private land, that's been uh, kind of set back a little bit. I guess as far as current construction goes, there is one very exciting project, which I'm just going to call the Town and Gown Bridge. And this is basically a bridge that will really leave the Boulder Creek Path 
just north of Folsom Field where the football team plays and go and elevate above Boulder Creek up to the university. I'm calling it the town and gown bridge because it's combining the town to the university. Just last year, they completed what I call, again, the Buffalo Bridge, which is another beautiful bridge that elevates from the Boulder Creek path just to the east of the one I'm talking about. But both of them will serve many people that live uh, directly to the north of the Boulder Creek path, particularly the marriage and student housing and the international students that often live right there, they'll have much easier access up to the university. There also is a current project that is going to be a wonderful addition to Goose Creek, which is the second busiest path as far as users go in our community. That path is getting a total new mitigation and flood managed project completed this spring because it historically had been flooding due to the early construction, which obviously uh, had run its course. But again, you'd mentioned a riparian corridor there, and Boulder has about eight, I believe, riparian corridors that uh, travel west to east. And they're quite wonderful, and they make for uh, obviously a great habitat for a lot of nature through there as well. Yeah. If I remember correctly, there's some projects uh, going in the ground up maybe in along Broadway. Are any of those going to be uh, considered part of the urban types of uh, pathways up there? Well, there really is, actually. I guess they would be considered little fragments of multi-use paths. One of the big things they put in place was the North Boulder Art District. And that's really on the edge of town on the north side. It includes uh, housing, a multi-use path, some some wonderful little uh, neighborhood paths, and a warehouse district that hosts all kinds of artisans in that region. And they have great events, and it is one of these uh, locations in town that has spurred some other locations to begin their own art districts. So I believe now officially we might have three art districts in this community. And art districts are defined different ways in different communities. But essentially, it's a a number of components that creates vitality for a certain area. And I I really hand it to the people that have been involved with uh, the Nobo Art District because they have taken what they've established over the years in kind of an informal basis and created this district along with several partners, including the city of Boulder. And, and, and you know, it, it's, it's lively. It has some live music in that area. It has some restaurants in that area. So it's going to be a place to be for a number of years. Fantastic. So now that we have basically covered some of the, the, the infrastructure and, and, and hopefully painted a little bit of a picture of, uh, for the listeners of, of what it looks like out there, I wanted to also mention that there's this integration of the different pathways as well as the trail systems, because that's the other aspect of Boulder that's just absolutely phenomenal. So why don't I have you talk a little bit about that? Because there's the whole network of mountain trails as well as other trails that are not paved. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, as shared paths, we've kind of defined the paths as concrete-based, hard paths, soft paths being trails. That's kind of what we define it as around these parts. But to your point, yeah, the hard paths are just part of it. We focus our organization on on the, the actual urban paths, but the trails, which allow for mountain bikers and horses and, and all kinds of other modes, uh, non-motorized, but they run along South Boulder Creek on the south side. They run east. They also run north up to, out to Boulder Valley Ranch off 4th Street, which is the very western part of the community. So our paths go to a certain extent, but yes, they are connected oftentimes to the trails, which then take you into some elevation into the mountains. And during our COVID-19 times here, in order to get proper spacing when you're out there enjoying the community paths and trails, it's important to try to outthink the population, if you will. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to the popular places that historically take on lots of people year-round, such as Mount Sanitas and, and places like that, Chautauqua, those are the popular ones. Those are the ones that are on all the maps. Those are the ones that uh, are easy to access. But there are so many more that if you think a little bit deeper about this, you can get to some paths and trails that are not as populated. And then you, of course, do have your separation that is important in these times. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the, the absolutely wonderful things about Boulder as the quintessential active town is that there is all of these different systems and the, the integration of the, the active mobility systems is just so fabulous. You've got the, the paved paths, you've got the unpaved trails, you've got a fair amount of on-street facilities. So it's just that integration of all the different systems that really help to support an active lifestyle and active mobility. You mentioned the current times with the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently all under, and you mentioned a little bit of some strategies of <laughs> maintaining distance and, and all of that. Uh, so what is the current situation with your squadron of volunteers and folks that are, that are helping to, to steward uh, the paved path systems? What, what's the current status? So I'll speak to that on two levels. Number one, our volunteers as stewards... The city has asked uh, all volunteers to disengage at this time. That's going to change, we think, in the next 60 days or so. I'm waiting to hear back, but we haven't been operational with our stewards since mid-March. And so that time is now being picked up as far as some of our duties along the lines of uh, collecting debris and that sort of thing. The Public Works Department is taking that all on now. And again, I, I do get calls and, and uh, emails often about, hey, Graham, uh, I've noticed Goose Creek is a little this way. It's, uh, you know, we've got uh, some debris over here that uh, hopes hope somebody can address. But in the meantime, uh, the city of Boulder has furloughed some of their public works maintenance people. So everybody has, has kind of uh, softened their stance on what they typically do in a day. And so there's been some good things that have come from this, though. 
We are seeing more people participating as just walking down the paths and actively picking up debris, which is nice. You do see that year round. But at the same time, I'm seeing a little bit more of that. As far as distancing goes, I would say two weeks ago, I would say 90% of the people were uh, keeping their distances, wearing masks. Now that at this point has curtailed substantially, I would say. I would say the older people, and I'm going to just call older people older than 30 years old, are, are still currently using masks in this community when they're out jogging or riding their bicycle, rollerblading, these kinds of uh, activities. Uh, I think there is a sense of, okay, I'm going to be going by a lot of people. I'm going to wear a mask. I don't mean to pick on the younger generation, but at the same time, they seem to be uh, less threatened by this virus. And so it's been 80 in Boulder last couple days, and Boulder Creek Path has some wonderful swimming holes, and they look like a summer beach right now. And so that is getting underneath the skin of some people in this community again. But at the same time, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do at the end of the day. And people are going to take the precautions that they feel are suitable for them. So at this point, that's that's kind of going along those lines. I would like to jump into a couple things that we have spearheaded here in Boulder to actually offer up more opportunities to have an active lifestyle that may not typically be in the realm of what people think. Of course, of course with athletic clubs, gyms all closed down at this point, those gym people, where are they going for their cardiovascular workouts? So I thought to myself, well, Boulder has a pretty large network of these little libraries often called little free libraries. There's 100,000 of them around the world. Boulder probably has about 75. So about a month ago, we started a Boulder Little Libraries Facebook page, which we are in the process of trying to, without giving addresses of where these are, because the secret part of, of this pursuit is to go find as many as you can and read to your heart's content and that sort of thing. But uh, they are spaced around so that the challenge is to go find them, take a picture of them, post it on their site. And a woman by the name of Carissa has helped us out and she just wrote a really dynamic story about Little Libraries in Boulder. And she's given a 10-point challenge to people to find a mystery book, to find a purple version of the libraries, to, you know, all these things that are a little creative, but gives people a place to walk in the neighborhoods to go out and seek these little libraries. So it's kind of an alternative, but it's not on the paths. It's not on the trails. They're woven into the neighborhood. I should say there are a couple on the paths, but at the same time, just a little uh, adjustment, a little pivot that we made to give people another active opportunity to go bike and walk around and appreciate the neighborhoods. That's wonderful. Yeah, what a, what a great creative idea. It sort of reminds me of the, the little trend that uh, took off in March uh, after the stay-at-home orders of the teddy bear hunts and the bear hunts where, you know, folks were 
going out of their way to do that, especially with kids to try to identify and what better way to explore your neighborhood and your community and, and getting out there. So Graham, let's talk a little bit about some of your dreams and aspirations for the organization going forward. And specifically, I'm thinking, I love this program. You told me about this back in 2016. And, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is something that other cities can learn from and emulate. So talk a little bit about the program, what it's all about, and where you want to see the organization going to in the future. Sure. Well, I like to say I have the largest office in Boulder, 90 miles of paths. And so it's it's very overwhelming to think about, gosh, can we have some sort of impression? Can we support the community on all these paths? And, and how do we do that? And how do we create the landscape so that everybody is welcome and that it becomes more of a mainstream activity. It becomes uh, more of an option for people to use as a commuter location. Whether you're going to the market, whether you're going to a friend's house, whether you're going to school, those are the, the big picture. I'm always trying to think, how can we activate it more so that people feel safe out there and they and it's encouraged on a number of levels to utilize that. So that's really the premise of what I'm always thinking about. How can it become safer? How can more people utilize it? Because that would be a good problem. Boulder suddenly has all of these streets that are empty. Why? They're on the paths. That's probably not going to happen anytime soon. However, I think about these opportunities because they're car-free zones, and car-free zones are gaining momentum. Here's a couple things that are going on in our community as well, and then I'll get back to the Shared Paths mission and what we're currently doing as well. Because another outstanding organization in this community called Community Cycles has activated a plan that looks like when we return to what could be the new normal, the city of Boulder is going to downgrade their city speed limits from 25 miles an hour to 20. Portland recently did this throughout the community, and Boulder has, has followed suit. They have taken the first neighborhood Green Street, what they're calling, which is 13th Street, which uh, starts uh, on the north side of town, just north of the North Boulder Rec Center, and weaves its way by a little irrigation ditch behind the North Boulder Rec Center down 13th Street and ends up at Farmer's Market into the Civic area, which connects to the Boulder Creek Path. And so that now is a 20-mile-an-hour street with a sign over the top called Vision Zero. Again, another location where the city feels like if they downgrade the speed, they will have an opportunity to encourage more cycling, more joggers, more people utilizing that as a means to get uh, north and south, because it is one of our major corridors just to the east of Broadway. Other things that we are doing, I'm actively involved with, and there's an article that was written by a young man at uh, Fairview High School on the south end of town. He and I did not know each other, but we're both thinking the same way. We are trying to get 
the Boulder Valley School District to offer physical education credits for high school students to actually ride their bicycle as a lifestyle choice to and from school every day. And the benefits of that are very, very large. They're substantial. And uh, we're getting a lot of support for that. And it's just going to be, it's going to come down to the logistics of the school district if we're able to execute that. But at this point, we're looking at the fall of 21, which seems a long ways away. But the idea of offering this course, because it counters some of the physical education classes that are currently offered, such as bowling and badminton, which I wouldn't necessarily call cardiovascular sports. However, somebody probably could have a strong argument against that. But my point is that due to our infrastructure, John, we have a place where if you can't pull that off here, where can you pull that off? And so the idea of getting uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 35% of each Boulder, Fairview, and New Vista high schools, the three high schools in this town, operating um, in a way that has never been, been done before. Anywhere in the country, nobody is doing this. And it seems appropriate. Again, it's it, oftentimes these kinds of things that fly out of nowhere in the case uh, of what we're talking about, this NGO interfacing with the school district and trying to, again, activate the paths. But seeing this population of 15 to 18-year-olds that are driving uh, oftentimes because their parents have the wherewithal to give them the car. I'm not saying the car is not needed by a high school student, but oftentimes the bicycle is the uh, most efficient means to uh, a daily a high school student's lifestyle. And so I think the Boulder Valley School District is looking forward to uh, an opportunity to actually activate this. But again, it's, uh, it's a ways away. So that's one of our initiatives. Another initiative that I've kind of tried to take a negative and spin it into a positive, and this is called a supportive outdoor living or a supportive encampment. I'm from Boulder. I've lived here my whole life, and for as long as I can remember, we have a per capita, a pretty substantial homeless population that lives here year-round. Well, depending on what angle you come from, it could be urban blight to some people. There could be a very high level of empathy for people that don't have a home. Either way, the city of Boulder has not addressed it appropriately to a point where we're doing something that's radically different. Five years ago, there was an entourage of Boulderites, including council members and community members, that went to Portland, Oregon, and Eugene, Oregon. And their mission was to look at transportation systems, look at neighborhoods, and look at how they're dealing with homeless populations. Well, so move fast forward here five years. I'm working with Colorado Homeless Coalition, the number one homeless advocate in Boulder, Interfaith Connections, NAACP, all these uh, outstanding organizations. And we have submitted a proposal to the city of Boulder to take a few of these softball fields in Boulder and turn them into a place where people could actually camp there and feel a little bit more secure there. 
and obviously have some spacing in this COVID-19 pandemic. Right now, they have downsized a lot of the emergency shelters for beds. There's not proper spacing in these kind of facilities. And the city of Boulder has East Boulder Rec Center, which has kind of been the place where people that don't have uh, insurance and that sort of thing to go for a COVID-19 treatment and tests and that sort of thing. Well, that is going to go away in the near future as well. So the idea behind this camping, this supported camping location would offer up resources such as a FEMA trailer for showers and uh, toilets and sinks and a place to wash clothes and peer navigators to support people looking for more permanent housing and uh, jobs. And so I bring this up because as stewards that are on the paths all the time, we bump into the homeless that are out there camping along the creeks. It's considered urban blight. It can be intimidating for people to go through and interact with some people. And so it's a win-win for the community. It's a win-win for our landscape. It's a win-win for the homelessness in this community. And so we hope to get a little feedback on that in the next week or so. And and hopefully, if all goes well, there'll be one uh, going forward. It looks like the city of Denver is going to have one. There's a few around the country. I think Seattle and Portland now have one. And so it's slowly happening. And so instead of soliciting tickets or issuing tickets, I should say, to homeless people that are camping in locations that are not permitted, and quite frankly, there's no city uh, no community, uh, no camping in this community whatsoever. And so it's a vicious cycle as a homeless person in this community. Where do you go? And so this would be a substantial location for a couple acres for people to go to. It's not going to be a solution by any stretch, it's going to be an option. And we're trying to address it now in the, in the timeline timeliness during this pandemic. After this very brief intermission, Graham addresses the logistics of their stewardship mission, an update on micromobility in Boulder, and some exciting new programs they have in the works, including bike valet services for some of the bigger local events. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to and rate the Active Towns podcast on the listening platform of your choice. It really does help quite a bit and is much appreciated. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. Okay, that's it. Let's get back to my conversation with Graham Hill. So let's get down to the the logistics of how you deploy your stewards out to their location? Is it is it based on geography? Do they have uh, assignments? How does that all work? Sure. So if you went to our website, sharedpassboulder.org, we have three maps. And those three maps are steward maps. And we have a, a southern, a central, and a northern route. I'm going to add a fourth one during this pandemic. So when we get out of this pandemic, we'll have four routes. So stewards typically will go and jump on one of these routes. And the routes take 
about an hour to complete. They're all four to six miles long. They can walk or bike them. If they walk them, they, they usually do about half of it. But the idea behind that is they're donning a purple vest, so they're visible out there. And we are trying to be the uh, goody two-shoes out there, so to speak. We try to model our behavior. The city of Boulder has a program that hasn't been promoted that much, but it is a program that kind of creates, uh, it's called Way of the Path. And the idea behind it is nothing any different than anywhere else in the country. You operate your bicycle or you walk on the right, try to be no more than two people wide on the path. You try to keep your speeds at 15 miles an hour. You try to notify somebody with a bell or an audible call that you're passing on their left side. So it's very basic, but we try to model that. We do gentle reminders to people. But what I have found out Our safety out there is paramount. It is vital to everybody's existence out there. So with all the various modes out there, we have to have safety as our number one priority. And so when we're out there, we try to not only model it, but we try to engage people. We try to, how's it going out there? Understand people's uses, understand how often people are out there. Uh, What I have noticed since Vision Zero has really percolated in the last couple years uh, all over this country, and it has in Boulder as well, is that the people that used to take these substantial county rides, whether they're going west up into the mountains or they're going north to Lyons on 36, guess what? They're a little bit more fearful of the automobile Zooming by them at 60 miles an hour, they're four feet away from them, only going 20 miles an hour. And we've got problems out there with uh, with speed. And so on the paths, what we're seeing now are people that used to go on those long regional rides and now are actually on the paths trying to duplicate their workouts. And when they're operating at 20, 25 miles an hour past three or four people that are just having a leisure walk, that can be scary. Oftentimes, people that ride for uh, speed and cardiovascular workouts, and they look at uh, going on these substantial rides, 25, 50 miles an hour, or 25, 50 miles at a time, they often forget that when they're in the urban corridor, they're forgetting to bell, they're forgetting to on your left, and so those kinds of behaviors are really the, the uh, most critical safety concerns we have on the PAS. Yeah, yeah, that's, and I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's one of the biggest challenges, you know, sort of the, the story of the tragedy of the commons is that, you know, you've got this wonderful resource out there, an activity asset of a paved uh, shared use path and it's so important that that shared part of the name is is reemphasized. There are a multitude of different types of, of of movement that is happening out there. Some people are walking, some people are running, some people are are riding a leisurely pace uh, at a leisurely pace on uh, on a bike. Uh, you've got commuters who are out there. You've got recreational cyclists that are out there. And there's in that speed conflict is is very, very 
apparent or it can be very apparent. And it's context sensitive, right? So during different types of, during different times of the year, you could, you know, be the only one <laughs> on the path, or you could have a path that's just completely chock full of, of people. And so behavior has to be adjusted on that. So that, that's a, it's wonderful to hear that that's a, a major component to what y'all are doing. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget the nuance of micromobility. Electric skateboards, one-wheel balancers, there are new forms of micromobility emerging all the time. Uh, so the update on micromobility in Boulder is this. We've had B-Cycle, which, of course, you're familiar with, which is stationed uh, shared bicycles. And because of Boulder's topography, if you leave central Boulder and you go south up to the university, you have to go up sub substantial hills. If you go to the north, you uh, actually have to go up hills as well. And without uh, mentioning this, going west, you're going up hills. So the idea of getting around Boulder uh, without a car, I think, is becoming popular. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying they're all affixed necessarily to people getting their cardiovascular workout, but you again are seeing the uh, electric skateboards and people going 10, 12 miles an hour uphill. They're, they're using these uh, various uh, electric bikes, which are perfect for this community. So I personally am always encouraging this kind of thing. Obviously, it's all based on behavior of the user. It's never the actual function of the, of the electric skateboard. It's the person on top of it that really is the determining factor whether or not it's safe that that person is out there utilizing that. Now, as far as the city of Boulder goes, yes, right now you're seeing a lot of micromobility, but they're all personal. And the next step for B-Cycle would be to have the electric uh, bicycle that is a free range electric bike. In other words, it doesn't have to necessarily be a docked style. And so that is, I think, coming around the corner post-COVID. The other thing that I think the city of Boulder, and I credit them for this, I've thought about this quite a bit, but they are taking a very cautionary stance on the, the scooter revolution that a lot of West Coast cities and, uh, quite frankly, a lot of cities around the world have dipped into. The city of Boulder is being very cautious because of they don't want to see them on their Pearl Street Mall, which is just a pedestrian walking mall. They don't want to see them in our numerous creeks. They don't want to see them on the sidewalks. And so... That is what is occurring in other communities. So right now, staff recommended to TAB, which is the Transportation Advisory Board, that they did not think they would be welcome. And they, because of safety concerns, they did not want to see them in the community at this time. TAB took the opposite approach and said, no, if it's something that will serve in lieu of a car trip, we want to see those out there. Well, of course, then it went to city council and city council actually took staff's recommendation. They often take TAB's recommendation, but in this case, they deflected what TAB had to say and staff and council teamed up. And right now we're in a, a kind of a, a wait and see situation on the scooters. 
But I think the electric bikes that will be undocked, I think Lime is the company that's really kind of leading the way now because these companies come and go based on so many factors. And COVID certainly has uh, played a big role in some of these uh, companies kind of going out of business, if you will. So it'll be interesting. The landscape is going to be different, I think, a year from now. And, and that, I think, is good because you combine that with the 20 miles an hour that we're going to see on neighborhood streets, the uh, path system that we have in place that is always evolving, and people's desire to get around with a with the real intent of not utilizing a car more often. I think um, those kind of factors will support a, an easier way uh, forward for people to leave the car at home more often and maybe try to downgrade the personal use of the car, period. In other words, they they hold back on the purchase. They join uh, car share here in town, and uh, they, they begin to realize that maybe a couple electric bikes and a transit pass and living closer to a community market might be the ticket forward. And I certainly have uh, built my lifestyle around that uh, method. But at the same time, I think you, you, you and I often talk about, well, what's going on in Boulder and what's going on elsewhere? I, you know, it's one thing to have one thing coming out of your brain and staff having things coming out of their brain and, and trying to make those things work in Boulder. But it's another thing to obviously look at other communities as well and make sure that, you know, we stay on the cutting edge because there's a lot to learn from each other. And that's why it's important to have podcasts such as this and and understand that communities are doing what's best for them. And, and so pushing agendas such as a more active community utilizing our pedestrian and our biking networks so that we, we see the benefits as a community. We see less congestion. We see clearer skies. Asthma counts go down. There's so many benefits to, to that kind of, of way of life. And so it begins with, with people taking serious steps forward uh, on all levels. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I do believe that the the cautious approach that the the city of Boulder has taken with regards to electric dockless micromobility uh, may end up being brilliant <laughs> in the, in the long run. Uh Graham, are, are there any final points that you you want to make sure that we talk about here today? Well, one thing I didn't mention, John, when we uh, get to post-pandemic or a time when we are, again, shuffling around in bigger groups for events, you're familiar with some of the larger events in this community, such as the Boulder Boulder and the Boulder Creek Festival and some of these. Well, one of the things we are taking on as shared paths when we get back to a new normal is we're going to start a bike valet that will be a mobile bike valet. So we will be at these large events going forward. The farmer's market at this point does not exist in Boulder, but when it returns, it's a great place to have bike valet. So that would be our first location. They have changed the Boulder Creek Festival into late July, and hopefully that goes on without a hitch. And if, if that's the case, we'll have Bike Valet present at that as well. But Bike Valet is a new, well, 
let me put it to you this way. 15 years ago, when I was an original board member for Community Cycles, we did Bike Valet at a former event called the Kinetic Sculpture Challenge, which you're probably aware of, which was this uh, multifaceted, fun parade race with people in costumes and crazy boats that they uh, jumped around in on land and in the water. But we had a very successful bike valet. But that was kind of a precursor to where bike valet is now in the country. You know, it's very substantial in Vancouver, San Francisco, and a few other places. And so we've tapped into those people to understand how to launch a uh, new fashioned bike valet. And so that'd be a new project for uh, Shared Paths when we return probably uh, the end of July, like I said, with the Boulder Creek Festival. But as far as Shared Paths goes and what we currently do and what we will continue to do, we'll be activating our community on the paths as much as possible. We offer art tours because we have 80 tunnels, John, as you know, that are wonderful because they continue the connection of the paths. You bypass automobile traffic. You go underneath of this and you're in a new section of the community. And there is art on probably 20 or 30 of these tunnels around town. So we have a long ways to go, but we have a couple artists that we have lead tours. Uh, We also have history tours out there. So we've got some new wrinkles up our sleeves when we come back. But we know our work is cut out for us because we want to see as many people as possible on a regular basis out on the paths because we know that it's not only great for the community, but it's great for people as an individual to uh, reevaluate how you get around this town. And again, because they're connected, you can get anywhere in this town. We talked about how they're along the, the busy streets of 28th and 30th. And so we want to see those kind of paths activated even more so. And yes, it is very convenient to drive in this town. You know, we allow about seven parking spaces per car in this town. So we may not be the, the biggest eyesore in this in this country, but at the same time, we still have our share of surface parking that we always feel like it can be repurposed and utilized in a better way. So our paths are wonderful. We don't take them for granted around these parts because we know when we go to other places, we look for them. And so we, we, we certainly like to model what's in our community. And like I said earlier, we'd love to have, you know, a good reciprocal relationship with other communities so that we can learn from each other and help develop an active community for, for people to uh, leave the car behind. And that, that's really uh, one of our missions in this community is to give as many opportunities as possible to go out, enjoy your regular day without utilizing the car. Fantastic. Well said. Graham Hill, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate all your time. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you found this episode on Shared Paths informative. Perhaps your community could or does benefit from a similar type of effort. Please let me know. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. Please take care of yourselves and one another. And until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. <laughs>